When I picked this topic about nine months ago, I could not have possibly known what was going to happen next. I don't know about if you heard about it, but we had this thing called the Freedom Convoy. And then, since then, we've had uh, the potential front-runner for the leadership of the Federal Conservative Party say that his platform is, I'm going to make Canada the freest nation on earth. And regardless of what you think of the Freedom Convoy or Pierre Polyev, you know that the conversation about freedom has changed over the last year, right? We all have, I think, very charged opinions about what freedom is, what freedom isn't. I mean, just work through a couple of these questions with me. Let's take the Freedom Convoy for a minute. Were the truckers free to do what they did? Were they free to stay as long as they did? Were they infringing on the freedoms of those who live and work in the downtown Ottawa core? Was the Prime Minister free to treat them the way that he treated them? And you might have any number of answers to those questions, but I bet you know somebody who has the exact opposite answers. Which means that this is not as easy as we might think. Which is why we need a biblical perspective on it. And to do that, I want to take you through a story that Jesus told Uh, that I think illustrates for us really well two wrong ways to approach the concept of freedom. And then it shows us one right way. Now, no doubt, in 20 minutes, I can't hope to cover everything that there is to cover about freedom, but I hope this starts us down the path of realizing that the way that we normally go at the concept of freedom is insufficient. So the story I want to tell you is the story that's commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. I'm sure most of you know it. Uh, The story goes that there is a father who has two sons, and one of those sons, the younger, comes to him and says, Dad, can I have my share of the inheritance early? So his father obliges him, and that son takes that money, goes off to a foreign land, and spends it in what the Bible calls wild living. You can probably imagine what that means. Uh, It seems, I think, that most people think of freedom the way that that man expressed himself. Like freedom is the ability to go do whatever I want with whomever I want. I think most of us, if we were just asked point blank, what is freedom, that would sort of be how we answer. The problem is that idea of unbridled freedom just simply doesn't work. And we can see that right in the story that Jesus tells. Uh, After this man has been spending his money in wild living, two things happen to him. The first is that he runs out of money, which shows us that unbridled freedom has limits because we're human. For him, when the money ran out, no longer was he free. He may have wanted to continue in his wild living, but he simply could not. He didn't have the funds to do it. But this gets down to a human level, right? You may want to feel free to eat a tub of ice cream every night, but you're going to find out very quickly that you're not free to do that, that your body has limits. You may want to feel free to fly, and so you jump off the edge of the Grand Canyon, but you find out you're not free to do that. We have natural limitations. We simply cannot actually express complete unbridled freedom. A second thing happens to this guy, though. There's a famine in the land as well, which shows us that our freedom is also often curtailed by things that are completely outside of our control. Right In this case, the famine was something that this man could not have controlled in any way. And in fact, if he would have still had all of the money that he started with, the famine would have necessarily shut down his ability to be free. 
He may have wanted to live in wild living, but there may have been no food in order to live that way. And there are things that we realize are outside of our control that curtail our unbridled freedom. Probably the easiest one is just thinking about where you were born and when you were born. For many of you born in this country, in this time period, you have a lot of opportunities that people born in different countries or different time periods never had. You may want to express yourself and your freedom by going to university if you live in a third world country, but frankly, there are things outside of your control that might curtail that freedom. So therefore, freedom, unbridled freedom, just simply doesn't work. But it actually goes a layer deeper than this. Um, Let's just hypothesize for a moment that uh, there was a world where we had unlimited resources and everyone had equal opportunities. You still would not be free in that scenario. Because any decision that you would make to follow anything that your heart desires would be influenced by somebody else or something else. It might be your culture, it might be your parents, it might be your friends, it might just be the natural desires of the human being. But every single decision you would make if you felt like you had unbridled freedom would not actually be completely free. You would still be enslaved to something. You'd be enslaved to the expectations of you to have of yourself, or your parents have of you, or your culture has of you, or the reputation that you want to, um, to create. You're always enslaved. We also learn one other thing about the idea of just unbridled freedom. And that is that it hurts people. We see for this man, obviously, he ends up with no money in a pigsty serving pigs. It hurt him. But it also cost his father a good share of his wealth. It cost his father. And when we express unbridled freedom, inevitably, we either hurt ourselves or hurt somebody else. And so the idea of unbridled freedom, just do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it, just simply doesn't work. It's first of all not freedom, and when we express it, we actually end up hurting ourselves or other people. It may feel like freedom for a while, but it's kind of like the dog at the back door who sees the squirrel and you let him out and he runs for a while, he feels free until he hits the fence, right? He realizes there are limits to his freedom. Now, here's what I think. I think most people realize that. I don't think there's very many people who are actually advocating for complete unbridled freedom for everybody and everything. I think intuitively we understand that doesn't work. What I want to challenge us with as a culture is to say, why do we borrow it then? If we realize it doesn't work, why do we use it sometimes for our own ends? Why do we say things like, well, I want to be free to express myself this way. I want to be free to do this down with the patriarchy, down with the leaders, down with whoever's in power because I want to do this. We realize this doesn't work as a whole concept, but we like to borrow it when it's convenient for us. Now, like I said, most people, I think, don't actually think unbridled freedom is the way to go, so they think a different way. And that's expressed for us in the second of the father's two sons. The way the story goes, the uh, the younger son comes to his senses, he realizes what he's thrown away, he goes back to his father, and on the way he rehearses the story about how he's going to ask his father not to welcome him back into the house as a son, but as a servant. But as soon as his father sees him, his father runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, puts shoes on his feet, a, a ring on his finger, clothes on his back, and kills the fattened calf for a massive party, saying, son, you cannot be a servant in my house, you will be my son again. And we'll talk about that part of the story, but I want to continue on to get to the, the older son. Because what happens next is the older son becomes incensed. And you can imagine why, right? 
Uh, His exact words are, Father, I've been slaving for you all these years and never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But now this son of yours who has wasted your wealth on prostitutes and wild living comes back and you kill the fattened calf for him. He was angry. I think the reaction for most people when they they see unbridled freedom is to say, okay, well, what we need instead of unbridled freedom is restrictions within which there will be freedom. Um, Think like a sporting event, right? In sports, there's an agreed upon set of rules. Everybody agrees to them and then everyone plays within the rules and there's freedom within the rules. I think that's how most people think we should live. And frankly, that's how Western society has been built. We have a set of rules. We all agree upon them and there's supposed to be freedom within those rules. That's what the older son had, right? He lived in his father's home. There was a set of rules of what was expected of him. But did you see how he perceived it? I've been slaving for you. In his mind, those rules were not actually a conducive format for freedom. They were slavery. What this teaches us is that just putting rules in place and even having agreed upon rules doesn't necessarily cause freedom. What was missing between the father and the older son was a relationship. See, that that older son thought of his father as a dictator, a power-hungry maniac, a a rule-giving lunatic who just was was trying to get everything out of him that he possibly could. That's how he felt. There wasn't a relationship there. You see that? I mean, that's what slavery is, right? Right? Slavery is follow the rules without a relationship. If you're a slave master, you own a slave, you tell him or her what to do, and they don't get to care about how you feel about it. That's how that older brother felt. And you feel this. We feel this because we have political parties that shift and enact laws or repeal laws or whatever the case may be. If we feel like whoever puts in place a law, repeals a law, doesn't really care about us, we kind of feel like it's slavery. You're coercing me to live this way. And so we might try to rebel against it and say, my body, my choice, whether that's referring to abortion or whether it's referring to a shot you might have to take, because we realize the slavery that we feel and we want to rebel against it. These two approaches to freedom are the way that just about everybody approaches freedom. Either to say, I want to be able to do what I want to do with whoever I want to do it with, or... I'm going to put in place rules to coerce behavior and claim that that actually gives us freedom. But you can see both don't work. Right? Just putting rules on a person doesn't give them freedom. It actually makes them feel enslaved. And giving a person unbridled freedom does not give them freedom. It ends up hurting them or somebody else and isn't really freedom anyways. It's illusory. And this actually is how most political parties work, right? We either restrict things or we liberate things. If you're on the left, You tend to liberate things like sexual expression, but you tend to restrict things like the economy. If you're on the right, you tend to restrict things like sexual expression and liberate things like the economy. But both of those don't work because they either make people feel enslaved or they give us over to our base desires and we end up hurting one another or ourselves. So what's the solution? If those two ways don't actually give freedom, What's the Bible's unique take on this? Um, It's seen in the answer that the father gives to his son. After the son goes on this rant about how his father 
should have given him at least a young goat in order to celebrate with his friends. You know what the father doesn't say? The father doesn't say, you're right, those rules were way too overbearing. And he doesn't say, you know what? I totally forgot how faithful you've been. We'll throw a party for you tomorrow. No, what he says is, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father's answer is relationship, right? It's not the rules were too strict, we need to loosen them, or I need to compensate you correctly. It's we have a relationship. That's what makes this okay. The same is true with God. It's so easy for us to think that having God in our life is kind of like the second of the two options of freedom. That we're coerced into a set of rules that we have to behave by in order to appease God or at least make our life good. But that's not how God comes to us. Well, that's what many people think God is. Actually, the way God comes to us is with grace. God welcomes us in. God loves us unconditionally, not because we behave by the rules, but in order that we might. And you know this if you have children. Do you put rules onto your children just so that they have busy work to do? Do you put rules onto your children because you need some sort of output from them? No, in general, we put rules onto our children because we love them. Honey, don't walk into the road because you want to protect your daughter. And truth of the matter is, not only do you love her enough to put that rule on her, you also unconditionally love her when she fails. So when she runs into the road, you grab her and bring her back and you don't say, that's it, we're putting you up for adoption. Right? You continue to love her. You continue to bring her in. That's the kind of love that God gives to us. And here's how that solves the problem. First of all, it gives you that unbridled freedom that you desire. Right? It gives you the ability to know that no matter what you do or do not do, you will be completely and utterly loved by God. That there's no standard you have to reach. That there's no sin that keeps you away from God. That you're completely welcomed in, 100% full stop, end of story. You're free. But you're also given a set of rules that are given to you in love by a father who was willing actually to even give up his own son's life for you. And so you can know that those rules are not just busy work for you to do. They are the restoration of your design. You think of it like a boat. Like when you craft a boat, you craft it specifically so that it can go in water. And when it's in water, it works really well. It's beautiful. It glides along. If you take that same boat and you put it out on the land, it's just not going to work very well, right? When God gives us the rules that he gives us, he gives them to us as a reminder of how we are designed to work. And therefore, we can look at those restrictions and say, they are not actually curtailing my freedom, they are giving me freedom. And they're given to me by a loving father. So how does this work out really practically? Um, there's a great quote from the, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther that I'm going to paraphrase just for the sake of applying it to our context, but... Uh, he says, the Christian is at the same time completely free and subject to no one. In other words, as far as God is concerned, you are not required to behave any way for anybody. You're completely free. There's no standards you have to live up to. There's no requirements you have to meet. There's no one's stare that, that should make you feel uncomfortable. You're completely free. And at the same time, you are subject to everyone. 
a slave of all. And Luther's point in saying this is to say the way that freedom is achieved ultimately comes from the unconditional love of God. But the way that freedom is then given to other people is through free people being willing to constrain themselves. You understand how this doesn't fit into either side? On the one hand, it's not rules imposed on the free person. It comes from the love of the free person. And it's not unbridled freedom. It's lived within the confines of what God has designed for humans to live in. Now, there's 101 applications of this. But I'll maybe put it into two categories for you. If you're a Christian, I want you to know that you are completely free. That no person... No government can put any rule on you that you have to follow in order to be loved by God. You're completely free. But now you have the chance to reflect Jesus, who gave you that freedom by being willing to constrain himself. To constrain himself to human flesh, which he still maintains today. To constrain himself to a piece of wood that he allowed himself to be nailed to so that he could give you that freedom. And you, in turn, out of that love and that freedom, can find a place in your life to constrain yourself for the sake of loving another. Now, remember, that love doesn't mean give them whatever they want. That's unbridled freedom, and that doesn't work. And that love doesn't mean impose rules on them, because that doesn't work either. That love means to be exactly like the father was, not just to his older son, but also to his younger son. His younger son, who had messed up beyond most people's, uh, most people's standards of mess up, And yet, that father welcomed him back in. He didn't behave the right way. He didn't say the right words. He, in fact, came and asked for a job. And yet, his father welcomed him back as a son. That's how we give freedom. We meet someone who is burdened by all the things that restrict them in life, whether it be things in their own mind, things in their culture, things in their relationships, things in their world. We are the ones who can say, you can be free. And so for those of you who are maybe joining us online or maybe are considering Christianity or skeptical about it, here's what you can have. Freedom. You can be totally free. You can be totally free to not have to live up to any standard because that is how loved you are in Jesus. Now, when you realize that, you will want to love others. But that only comes when you understand the level of freedom that God gives you.